All right, well, if you would turn again to 1 Corinthians 13. We're looking at patient love in light of all that's going on in our country and how that's impacting our lives in various ways and wanting to grow in our faith. The inauguration of President Biden happened this week, and uh, an inauguration is a formal beginning of something. And this was the formal beginning of his administration as president. And for many people, that is an inauguration of something wonderful. For many other people, it's the inauguration of something terrible. That's just the way we are, where we are in our country. We're very divided on issues, and for some of us, um, we're happier about certain things than others are in our country. And yet the reality is, regardless of how you feel about what's going on politically, all of us on either side of the aisle, so to speak, are going to have trouble in this life this year, over the next four years, for various reasons. And the question is, how will we respond to that trouble? Will we respond in faith? Will we respond in love? And so let me, let me read for us again this chapter and just remind us of what it has to say. And we want to continue looking at how to trust and love under very difficult, uncomfortable circumstances. In verse 1, it says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love, abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of God. There was a cowboy that was driving out west one day with his uh, dog in the back of his truck and pulling a horse trailer with the horse in the trailer. And he got going too fast to make a curve, and he had a terrible accident. And a highway trooper came up to try to help. And as the highway trooper came up, he met the horse first laying there, being severely injured and being very compassionate, he took out his revolver and put the horse out of his misery. The next thing he found was the dog, who also uh, had been greatly injured, 
and out of compassion also put the dog out of his misery. And over in the woods, or in the weeds, I guess it was, close to the woods, he found the man who was in terrible shape as well. And he walked over to the man with his revolver in his hand and he said, how are you doing? And the man looked up at him and said, I couldn't be better. (laughs) So what's going on in that story? That man realized that, you know what, if I complain, I might end up like that horse and that like that dog. Well, the point I want to make as we begin looking at um, patience in the midst of circumstances is to realize that um, complaining truly is, can be something very deadly. Now, all complaining isn't the same. Like I said last week, read the Psalms. There are very legitimate complaints about sin and about evil and wanting God to change things. But there is a sinful complaining that is a complaining against God, which is complaining about our circumstances. And the Bible tells us, if we read Numbers 11 and Numbers 21, like we referenced last week, that God is not happy with complaining about our circumstances because ultimately it's complaining against the God who's in charge of those circumstances. And he's not happy about that because it kills our trust, it kills our joy, it kills our peace. And therefore, he isn't glorified in our complaining. And therefore, it's should be our desire to kill complaining before it kills us, before it kills our joy and kills our peace and kills our trust in God in the midst of our circumstances. And so we want to think about that in light of this um, working definition we have here for patience, the kind of patience that Paul is talking about in verse 4 when he says love is patient. It's a word that combines two words, long and suffering, or, or long passion. Has the idea of suffering involved, has the idea of a lot of suffering for a long time. And so this definition says patience is trusting and loving in the unplanned place, at the unplanned pace, with difficult people and uncomfortable circumstances. And that's what we're focusing on right now, the uncomfortable circumstances, without, and I've added this, retaliation and complaining. The patience with regard to difficult people is to not retaliate, even if it goes on for a long time, and even if if it's great offense. It's loving people who are difficult and sinning against us by not retaliating. It's a kind of restraint. In the same way, patience is a kind of restraint with regard to not complaining against God because of our circumstances. Because what we're talking about here when it says love is patient, what kind of love... Is he talking about, who is he talking about loving? He's talking about loving people, but he's also talking about loving God. How do we love God in our difficult circumstances? We resist the temptation to complain about those circumstances and therefore to complain against God. That is the love of God that we're being called to. And it takes a real strong faith in God in order to do just that. And we started talking about that last week in terms of, so what kinds of things do we need to keep in mind in order to seek to 
resist that kind of sinful complaining that we're talking about. The first thing we talked about was identifying God's hand in all of your circumstances. That if you think about what happened to you this morning or yesterday or last week or last year, over the last five years, over the last 50 years, every single thing that happened to you had the hand of God behind it. It was given to you as if you could picture it in God's hand to you. God gave it to you. And that's why Job, who struggled mightily with what God was doing in his life, said, Pity me, pity me, O you my friends, for the hand of God has struck me. He didn't talk about the people that stole all of his possessions. He didn't talk about the tornado of sorts that killed his children. He said, God, God's hand is behind all of this. And that's who he wanted to talk to. He wanted to talk to God. And finally, in the end, God appeared to him and and things changed when he saw it differently. The second thing we said, though, is one, it's one thing to say, okay, God's hand is behind it, but am I trusting that hand? Do I believe that hand is good and that what he's ultimately up to is good? That's what Job wrestled with the whole book. He knew God's hand was behind it. There was no doubt in his mind that there was a God and that he was behind in an ultimate sense what he was experiencing, but he really was struggling to see the good in it, to believe God for good in it. And so we need to see God in all of our circumstances, and we need to see good in all of our circumstances, to believe that God is up to good things. It's kind of like Joseph, as we said last week, who told his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And therefore, yes, there's evil involved, Satan's involved, evil people involved in our circumstances, really difficult things involved in our circumstances, and yet God is up to good things even in those circumstances. Well, there's a lot more to say about that, but I'm not going to dwell any more on that. I want to move on to another aspect of the hard thing about circumstances is not only the circumstances themselves and whether or not God's involved and whether or not he's pursuing our good in it, There's also the aspect of, can I handle this? It's one thing to say, I I believe God's behind it. I believe God is up to my good. There's another issue. Can I bear what God is sending my way? Can I handle this? So if you would, turn to uh, Matthew chapter 6. I want to look at a few scriptures this morning with the time that we have. Uh, Matthew 6, we'll look at the very end of the chapter, just verses 33 and 34. The context there is worry, uh, and the Lord Jesus is encouraging us not to worry, to be like the birds who receive from God on a daily basis. And so at the end of that discussion of not worrying, the Lord Jesus tells us this in verse 33 of Matthew 6, "...but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness." And all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. There's some people that are looking at the new administration and thinking, uh, I don't know if I can bear four years of this administration. 
I don't know if I can bear what's going to happen over the next 10 years or 20 years or whatever if our, if our nation keeps going in the direction that it's going. And what does the Lord Jesus say to that? He says you need to be careful of how you're thinking about things. You need to be careful that you're not trying to bear the next four years today or the next 10 years today. God doesn't intend for us to bear anything other than today, today. He says, in a sense, another way to put what he's saying there is, take one day at a time. Each day has enough trouble. Don't bring the troubles of tomorrow into today. It's like J.C. Ryle said, we are not to carry cares before they come. If tomorrow brings a cross, he who sends it can and will send grace to bear it. Uh, Matthew Henry said, in light of this verse, the saints have a friend that is their uh, arm every morning and gives out fresh supplies daily. We have a friend. He also talks about the fact that God, in his hand, giving to us, does it a piece at a time. He doesn't give us four years of worth of trouble right on one day. And so he says, let us not pull that upon ourselves all together at once, which providence has wisely ordered to be borne by parcels, divided up one day at a time. And he talks about the fact that we can be our, our own worst tormentor. He says, Lord Jesus was encouraging them uh, so that his disciples should not be their own tormentors nor make their passage through this world more dark and unpleasant by their apprehension of troubles, more dark and unpleasant than God has made it by the troubles themselves. We can make things worse by bringing the troubles of tomorrow into today. Um, Tim Challies is familiar to many of you. He's a pastor who just recently, unexpectedly, uh, out of the blue, lost one of his children. No pre-existing conditions that they knew about or anything. He, I'm not sure of all the details of the story, but they were not expecting it. He wasn't sick. He just ended up dying. Obviously, there must have been something going on, but they weren't aware of it, as I understand. And so he's been working through this whole thing with God about losing his child. And he said this, Losing a child is more painful than I ever could have imagined, but God's grace in it has been more constant than I ever could have imagined. The loss has been more grievous, but the joy has been more present than in any fantasy I could ever have conjured. I never would have foreseen the ways in which God's promises have proven true, the ways in which he has comforted us us by his spirit and his people, the ways in which we have been upheld by prayer, in which we've been encouraged by words of truth and acts of love. I had eyes to see some of the pain, but little of the joy. To see much of the grief, but so little of the grace. My imagination was faulty in what it foresaw and faulty in what it failed to see. That last summary statement there relates very directly to what the Lord Jesus is saying in Matthew 6. We have faulty vision for the future. We can see much grief, but we can't see much grace. And it's even as we walk through things that we find out that God's grace is sufficient, that God is all that he promised that he would be for us, that he does not leave us or forsake us, that his grace truly is 
sufficient. And that's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12. If you'd like to turn there, look at this passage just briefly. 2 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 7 through 11. We're to take one day at a time. We're not to try to imagine having to bear all the troubles of the next week or years or decades, but take one day at a time and to realize that the grace God offers us, promises us one day at a time, truly is sufficient. It's something we have to learn. We learn that, just like Tim Challey's learned that through his experience. We must learn this too. Paul talks about learning contentment in Philippians 4. And then here in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 12, he says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, a lot of people have speculated on what was Paul's thorn in the flesh. None of us know for sure. Um, some think it, was physical, think it was physical suffering and eye condition because of what he says in Galatians. Uh, some think it might have been psychological suffering, just the various pressures and temptations and anxieties of various situations. Some think it might actually have been a person. A lot of people think because of the context of 1 Corinthians uh, as a book and what was going on with the false apostles that he was dealing with, that the messenger from Satan is actually someone who is a demon-possessed false apostle who's causing all this trouble in the church at Corinth and causing uh, great suffering to Paul. The word for thorn uh, could actually be translated stake. It's like a stake in my heart. Um, What is happening here? But whatever it is, and I think God has left it sort of nebulous because he wants us to... Imagine all of our trials and all of our troubles to apply to what Paul is saying here. He says to Paul that my grace is sufficient for you no matter what it is and no matter how great and how painful it is. And and Paul says in light of understanding what the Lord Jesus is saying here, he can say I'm well content with these weaknesses. The the idea of being well content there is actually translated in the KJV, the old KJV. I take pleasure in my weaknesses. I take pleasure in all these things. Um, Another way to translate it would be, I think it's a good thing. I'm well pleased with what God is doing. I'm well pleased with what God is doing in my life and saying no when I ask him to remove this. It wasn't wrong for Paul to ask to remove the thorn. God didn't rebuke him for praying, God, please remove this. He just said, no, but I will give you the grace. I will give you the grace. Sometimes God says, yes, I'll remove it. Sometimes he says, no, I'll give you the grace to go through it and to trust me and to love in the midst of it. So what is the weakness? 
when he says, I'm well content with weakness, he's not talking about sin. He's not saying, I'm well content with my sinful response to what God is doing. A lot of times we talk about weakness in terms of sin, our failure to be what God wants us to be. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is that weakness there is a lack of strength. A lack of strength that does what? It's a lack of strength, well, a lack of strength that's being revealed might be one way to put it. He's talking about I'm well content with the revelation of my lack of strength. I'm well content with the revelation of the fact that I cannot handle what's going on in my life. That's why he's asking for the removal of the thorn in the flesh. God, I can't handle this. I cannot handle it. I want it removed. And God says, I'll give you the grace to handle it. That thorn in the flesh is keeping you from being proud. It's humbling you so that you know that you can't handle it. You couldn't handle it before. There's nothing in your life that you can handle apart from me. You just don't always know it. But I give you things to remind you that there's nothing that you can handle apart from me. And so you could say that the weakness that he's content with is not sin, but it's the revelation of his need for God. I'm well content with my the things in my life that reveal my need for God. Thank God for those revelations, lest I be left without God. Thanks be to God for those revelations. The whole idea of insults, which is kind of insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties, kind of define what he means by the weaknesses that reveal his need for help. Insult means shameful treatment. Distresses mean a lack of what we need. He even talks about needing food, not having food and things at times. Persecutions has to do with rejection of various kinds. Obviously, Christian rejection especially. Difficulties is actually a picturesque word that means a narrow place. The phrase we use is, I'm between a rock and a hard place. It's very uncomfortable where I am right now. I can't move and I can't find comfort. This is a difficult, difficult place. And he says that I'm content with that because it exposes my helplessness not only to myself, but to other people. It's a very humbling thing when we find ourselves in our own hearts and before other people, recognizing our weaknesses and our need. And yet, it's for Christ's sake, he says. It's for the glory of Christ. It glorifies the power of God exercised on our behalf. And the only way that God can show you that he's everything that he's promised to be for you is if he puts you in a place where you actually need him. It's God's love that puts us in that place to really, really need God. Charles Spurgeon preaches on this verse and the phrase, uh, when I am weak, then I am strong. And he flips it around at the beginning of his sermon and he says, let's think about that from the opposite side. He says, when I am strong, then I am weak. And he talks about the fact that he says my brethren we cannot perform the smallest duty aright apart from the help of God neither can we be secure against even the grossest sin apart from the perpetual guard of him that keeps Israel he says dear friends we shall often find that our strength will lie in patience an extreme weakness which yields itself up to the will of God without the power or will to murmur 
he quotes a, a hymn that says, Hope finds its strength in helplessness. He says we ought to dread a sense of capacity, for it will render us incapable. The more capable we feel, he says, the less prepared we are for anything. The more strong and able I feel to face whatever comes my way, the less capable I am. If I'm like the poem Invictus that we talked about last week, I am the captain of my fate, the captain of my soul, master of my soul, whatever. Um, I am the weakest I could ever be. But when I recognize my weakness and I'm the strongest, when I look in looking to God in that weakness, I'm as strong as I will ever be. He says, when you fancy that you're strong to suffer, you will fail. But in conscious weakness, you, you will be enabled to play the man. In truth, we are always weak, whether we know it or not. But when we not only believe this to be the fact, but see it to be the fact, then it is that we are strong. And this is what he says we should be saying to ourselves and saying to the Lord. Lord, I cannot do what I ought to do. I cannot do what I want to do. I cannot do what I used to do. I cannot do what other people do. I cannot do what I mean to do. I cannot do what I am sure I shall do. I cannot do what I feel impelled to do. And over this sinful weakness I mourn. Lord, I long to serve you perfectly, yet I cannot do it. Unless you help me, I can do nothing right. There will be no good in my actions, my words, my feelings, or my desires unless you continue to fill me with your own holy energy. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. He says, you are strong while you plead in that fashion. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. All things. Corrie ten Boom um, obviously went through the concentration camp. If I knew I had to spend several years in a concentration camp um, by myself, that would be terrifying. If I had to find the strength and the courage to face what they had to face day in and day out, that would be overwhelming. She found grace um, because God gave her grace because she trusted God. And one of the things that God used to help her was when she was a child, she saw the death of an infant. And she looked at her dad and said, you can't leave me. I can't. I wouldn't be able to handle it if you left me. And as her father sat her down and said, Corey, when do I give you your ticket for the train? And she said, well, Dad, you give it to me when we get to the station and we're ready to get on the train. And what he said was, exactly. And our wise Father in heaven knows when we are going to need things too. Don't run ahead of him, Corey. When the time comes that some of us will have to die, you will look into your heart and find the strength you need just in time. Now, did he mean that she would have that strength on her own? No, she meant God will give you the strength. He will strengthen your heart as you look to him and trust him. Elizabeth Elliot um, talked about the idea of uh, God giving us manna on a daily basis, just like he gave the children of Israel manna on a daily basis. Um, Someone has said that grace has an expiration date. 
It only lasts one day. And that's why we're to seek God for our daily bread. We're to pray every day for the grace we need. Because it doesn't, you can't store it up. God taught the people, you have to go out every morning and get manna. It's not going to last except on the Sabbath. I'll let it last a little longer so you don't have to do it on the Sabbath day. But every other day, you have to get up every morning and ask for it. You have to get up every morning and go get it. You have to look for it every day. Fresh manna, fresh grace. And this is what Elizabeth Elliot said. Don't ever be afraid of the will of God. That's what worry is. It's afraid, being afraid of the will of God. Don't ever be afraid of the will of God. The will of God is always love. And love cannot possibly want anything less for the beloved than joy and perfection and bliss. The only reason that we are afraid of the will of God is because we cannot see the grace that will be there. But the grace of God is always just enough, as was the manna for the children of Israel in the wilderness. They couldn't get manna for tomorrow. It was this day our daily bread. The song that's very famous that we sing at times says, Day by day and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I have no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure gives unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly, it's part of pain and pleasure, mingling toil with peace and rest. Every day the Lord himself is near me with a special mercy for each hour. All my cares he fain would bear and cheer me. He whose name is counselor and power. The protection of his child and treasure is a charge that on himself he laid. As thy days, thy strength shall be in measure. This is the pledge to me he made. Help me then in every tribulation, so to trust thy promises, O Lord, that I lose not faith's sweet consolation offered me within thy holy word. Help me, Lord, when toil and trouble meeting, ere to take as from a father's hand. One by one the days, the moments fleeting, Till I reached, reached the promised land. God calls us to trust him one day at a time and to believe that his grace is sufficient. I'm just going to speak for a couple minutes on James chapter 5 as we wrap things up. If you want to talk, turn there, feel free to James 5. I need to wrap this up for this morning. But I want to leave you with one last encouragement. Next week we'll talk a little bit about some objections to thinking this way and living this way as we wrap up this series on patience. But in James 5, verse 7, James says this. He says, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and the late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job, and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. There's a lot in this passage, but let me just highlight the fact that James says we need to look at the example of other people who've been patient, 
in their circumstances so that God can encourage us to be patient in our circumstances. And the first illustration he uses is that of a farmer. A farmer plants the seed, and he does some cultivation, but he's entirely dependent on God to send the rain at the right time and to cause it to grow. And so the farmer, as an example of patience, doing what he needs to do and trusting God to do what he needs to do, waits and works. Then he talks about the example of the prophets in the Old Testament who were persecuted, and yet they continued to speak the word of God. And so they spoke the word of God and waited on God to do what God was going to do. Even though they were continually rejected, they kept speaking the word of God faithfully. And then there's the patience of Job, uh, where he talks about how Job suffered and waited, waited for God to help him in his struggle with what God was doing. And he says, don't you see that God was faithful in the end to bless Job. And he blessed Job even Job, even though Job struggled um, and complained against God, which is very encouraging to me. That Job didn't perfectly walk through his trial and praise God and thank God the whole time. After chapter 2, he goes downhill very quickly. And yet God still brought good out of his suffering, and he still blessed him tremendously. And so the most important thing about suffering well and being patient in our circumstances has to do with whether or not we believe that there's a God behind those circumstances who is full of mercy. The word for compassion there is a word that means many-bowled. From their perspective, they thought of their emotions coming from their stomach. Just like we talk about, I felt that in the pit of my stomach. Well, he says, no matter how full of compassion you think, you can be God is multiplied times more compassionate than you or I will ever be. And the word for mercy there is a picture of tender and caring. God is tender and caring even when he sends us difficult things. The song Blessings by Laura Story talks about that when it says we pray for blessings, we pray for peace, comfort for family, protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray for, for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. And all the while you hear each spoken need, yet love us way too much to give us lesser things. Because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? Mercies in disguise. That's what James is talking about, is that our trials are God's mercies to us in disguise. They look like harshness. They look like meanness on the surface, but they're full of compassion and full of mercy. Full of compassion, full of mercy. Let me just close by saying this. Um, Spurgeon also talks about the the fact that, um, he says, we are too apt to entertain hard thoughts of God. We're too quick to believe that he doesn't really love us, that he's not really loving us. 
that is one of the greatest trials you will ever have is to believe that God isn't loving you. That's nothing compared to any other trial. Nothing compares to believing that God isn't good and God isn't loving you. And that is our fight. That is our fight to believe that God is good and that he's loving us and that he deserves our love in return. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you that um, we have the encouragement of your word because um, we try to read our circumstances and we interpret you very poorly at times. And we fail to really see what you're up to. We fail to really see your compassion and your mercy. And we doubt your love for us. We doubt your goodness. And we complain against you. We complain against our circumstances. And yet you're so patient with us. And you still bless us. You still love us. And yet we want to love you well. We want to respond rightly to our circumstances. Help us to go to you for forgiveness, for our impatience, for our complaining, for our retaliation toward others. Help us to fight forgiven sin, knowing that we're forgiven in Christ. And help us, Lord, to trust you for what is good, to truly rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. Please help us. Help us to kill complaining that our own peace and joy And faith may not die. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.